This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show on the Blaze where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And I don't think we're going to have much fancy French talk today. We're going to have a lot of serious talk because I have a, a wonderful guest. And we're going to talk about some of his career lessons. We're going to talk to him about something I'm very passionate about, one of the reasons America is an exceptional nation, the idea of federalism. Because of what's happening in your nation, we're going to talk about coronavirus. But one of the things we're also going to talk about is local politics. The gentleman joining me, he has many names. He is the devil's favorite demon. He is half of the Brothers of Destruction. He's a WWE Hall of Famer. Uh, his name is Kane. You also may know him because he's now involved in politics. He's mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. His name is Glenn Jacobs. And we're joined today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. So you've had a fascinating career. Um, and I wanted to talk to you today about just traveling your whole life because you've had a really interesting story. And I think it's a story that people need to learn. And also, I think there's certain principles that are so sorely missing in society today. So how I came across you is I'm one of these people. Yes, I love wrestling. I always have. And I was growing up as, you know, I'm going to show my age here. I was growing up in the 90s. And my favorite wrestler was The Undertaker. And the reason that my favorite wrestler was The Undertaker was because if you remember back then, it was everyone was like, you know, say your prayers, brother. And oh, yeah. And everyone was a great talker. And, you know, all the mysticism. And then all of a sudden, this guy called The Undertaker debuts and he doesn't talk and he looks scary as hell. And then obviously a couple of years later, all of a sudden these stories are bubbling up. This is where you come involved. You're on screen. You're his brother. All of a sudden I remember the Hell in a Cell match watching it. And I'm hearing you hear all these rumors of this, his brother's going to debut, and then all of a sudden, this guy, uh, you, debut, and you, you enter, and you make such an impact. It's amazing to watch. But the reason I wanted to share this story was because I remember, obviously, the times have changed. This is like the mid-90s, so there's no internet, really. There's no social media. And I remember going, and just, I was amazed by your, your career with The Undertaker, your wrestling and the story of it. Spoiler alert, please don't hate me. I shouted for The Undertaker in that storyline. But yeah. one of the things when I found out and what we need to learn about today is when someone told me was, you know, he was with the WWE before, right? I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, yeah, he was Isaac Yanker. And I would love to just talk to you about that as a story because what was it like being pitched that idea? Because it's not a storyline that sells. Do you want to tell people what that character was? Sure. It was a wrestling dentist. Uh, <laughs> I was, um, I got a trial with WWE and got a call that they wanted to sign me. And I was going to go up to New York to meet with Vince McMahon. And uh, I was really excited because of course, this is my big break to get in the WWE. So I flew from where I live, Knoxville, Tennessee to LaGuardia airport, picked up in a limousine. I'd never been in a limo before in my life. So I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome. I'm a WWE superstar. This is, you know, this is, I've made it. It's going to be great. And I go to the WWE offices there and um, meet with Vince. And he has this idea for me. He asked me, Glenn, have you ever been afraid to go to the dentist? And I said, no, no sir. And uh, he said, well, I have this idea for a dentist, a wrestling dentist. Isaac Yankum. Get it? I yank him. Teeth. And then he starts laughing, the Vince laugh. And I had never, I don't know if I've ever had a day where I had such highs and such lows because, you know, I was all, man, it's great. I'm a WWE superstar to, 
I'm going to be a wrestling dentist, you know, and WWE, your success in a lot of ways is predicated upon how cool your character is and and how much the audience likes it and all that sort of stuff. And I just sit in there going, this is, this is just not going to work. Um, Yeah. And and it did. You don't see part Isaac Yankin as world champion, no? <laughs> right. Part of the reason it did is because because <laughs> I couldn't sink my teeth into it, pun intended. Um, and that would, but what that did though is got my foot in the door um, and proved to them, you know, that I was I was a hard worker um, and someone that I think that they would want with their company. So even though that didn't work out, I got another opportunity and then uh, another one with Kane and uh, finally did get my big break then. Absolutely. And I think the reason I wanted to share that story, because I've heard you speak about it before, but it's so key to today. I know people might go, oh, this is a wrestling story. It doesn't involve me. It's it's not interesting because I, I don't like wrestling, but it's a key principle that's missing today because I'd love to ask you, if you went in and got this pitch and like, I yanked it, and you had a really bad attitude and you were like, this sucks. And you turned up late and, you know, you weren't professional. You know, you put on a bit of extra weight. You know, you did all the things that, you you know, you, you just were just disinterested. And everyone kind of knew, oh, this guy, Glenn, you know, he might have spoken very well, but, you know, he's just not worthy to be around. Do you think if you had that attitude and you worked that way that you would have got the Kane character that made you no. a Hall of Famer? Yeah, absolutely and, not. And why has that changed so much in society today that we don't appreciate that, you know, not everything's your big break. Not everything is a case of, you know, not, you know, especially in our industry, you know, when you're talking like, you know, oh, this is going to be my big break. It, chances are it mightn't be. It might be, but you have to work hard. You have to, you know, one of the phrases I always love is Martin Luther King. You know, if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper you can be. We seem to have lost that as in the society, not just America, but worldwide. Right. Where do you think we've lost it or why? Well, I think it's because we are a society of instant gratification now. Uh, every everything is right at your fingertips. Fingertips. I mean, information is just a Google away. Um, we also, I think, because we're also inundated with false senses of reality on social media. You know, we see these superstars, and whether it's celebrities, sports figures, whatever, um, and we see them at their height but we don't see the struggles that they go to get to that. Um, And that's what I always say about my story. Like people, I think sometimes look at me and go, uh, wow, that's really cool. You know, he's WWE superstar hall of Famer, all that stuff. Um, They didn't see me 25 years ago when it was a completely different story. When I was driving from town to town in Missouri and Illinois, 300 miles a night for, no money at all. Just hoping that I could cover my gas. I mean, staying at a hotel is completely out of the question. Um, right. And 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 sticking with it through that, sticking with it through uh, the obstacles and the setbacks. Um, and for me, it's really the obstacles and the setbacks that have defined me much more so than the success. I mean, the success would have never come if I hadn't had to face those obstacles. Um, so I I don't can't put my finger on one thing, but I think a lot of it is just the fact that it's like in the fifties in the U S we had leave it to beaver show. Right. And that's an everybody that's everybody's perfect family. Well, no one's families like that. And I think now because of TV, because of pop culture, because of social media, we have this package of what success looks like, however you want to define that. And it leaves out the, 
steps that we have to take or that those people in many cases have taken to get there. They People just see the finished product. I, and I think that's such a good point because I see it, I'm a powerlifter and I see it in the gym and, you know, I, I wish I knew, everyone will always say this in every career, I wish I knew then what I know now. Right. Um, and I'm just taking things serious. Like everyone always thinks, you know, because we're powerlifters, so all we have to do is focus in on nine lifts, three squats, three bench, three deadlifts. Right. But, you know, and everyone kind of thinks, I'm just going to show up on the day. And it's gonna go. You don't actually see all the work. Like, you know, we probably do. 2,000, 3,000 deadlifts pre-competition. No, there's no cameras there. There's nobody there to say great job or cheer you on. But everyone's there for those three lifts, and, and we don't ever want to put in the work. And I think that's something that we really badly need to get back to, that there's a lot of grinding and sweat, and also a bit of luck, because obviously, you know, in my industry, you got to be healthy. Um, but in your industry, you know, you gotta you got to get over with the crowd. you got to get the right character. Right. Well, exactly. Uh, and I also think that there is now – an envy of success. You know, people will look at successful folks and instead of thinking, uh, wow, how did they do that? Look at them with admiration. Now it's just like, well, they got a break and, and they shouldn't be there. And so much of it is tearing folks down instead of building people up and instead of celebrating success. And in some cases, when I, you know, we all define success differently, right? I mean, you know, to me, it's just living the life you want to live. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we don't celebrate that. You know, it's almost like, well, why are they there and I'm not? Well, a lot of times they're there because they worked really hard to get there. Uh, and I think maybe folks don't want to acknowledge that. And they just want to say, oh, they were just lucky or they were just born into it or um, whatever. You know, and like you said, um, when I was when I was heavy into weightlifting back in the day, um, you know, I, I was a powerlifting regime. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Ware. He was the first guy to break Bill Kazmaier's overall record in, in the three lifts. He oh, was wow. my strength coach. Yeah, he was my strength coach in college. And, um, you know, I mean, that's all I did is I lifted heavy all the time. And it was all I, I was never I was never a good lower body guy. My bench press was good. But, you know, I lifted heavyweights all the time um, and people would, you know, look at me and I was always, well, you know, it's a shortcut, it's a steroids. I've never taken a steroid in my life, you know. Yeah. Um, they never spent the time in the gym that I spent, you know, they never. Mm -hmm. and, and also you think, well, you can't go in and start bench pressing 500 pounds. You have to start with 200 and, yeah. you know, work your way up from there. Um, so, it, it, yeah, a lot of the things you're saying I, I can relate to as well. Um, and I think in some cases, people just don't want to put in the work and they make excuses of why someone else is where they're at instead of saying they work to get there. Or they believe the myth that they can never do it. And that's the saddest thing I see. Oh, I can yeah. never do that. And I'm like, you can. You know, you can do it. The second principle I want to talk to you about on your career before we get to your political career, because I really want to talk to you about federalism and what you're doing there, was especially the reason I'm bringing this principle up is because of the polarization that we see in America. And it's around the world where we're literally, I don't know if you saw the news this week, where literally there's this guy taking a cell phone video or someone off him where he's uh, attacking Tucker Carlson. And he's like, oh, you're the worst person since sliced bread. The story that kind of made you... You know, there's so many arcs of your career that made you great, you know, obviously debuting against The Undertaker. But one of the things that totally changed you, you're this big guy. So for people who've never seen you, you're like 6'10", 300 pounds, big, muscular. You just look like you just beat the crap out of everyone. 
But one of your funniest segments or parts of it was with Daniel Bryan and Brian Danielson, Team Hell No. And he's not exactly on the same political aisle as you, you know, rather different. I don't know much about him, but I've seen enough of him to kind of, he's not exactly friendly to conservatism. But it's one of your angles. And again, if with the wrong attitudes, you go, oh, he's told he's, he's one of those lefties or liberals or I don't want to work with him. But you have that great chemistry. You can't fake that. How do we get back to where we can work together? Where, look, you have an opinion. I, I think you're wrong. You think I'm wrong, but that's okay. But we can work together and we, we can coexist, so to speak. Start with what we agree on instead of what we disagree on and work from there. And it's as simple as that. Like with, with Daniel and I, we actually would talk about politics and it was never contentious. It was just what he thought, what I thought. But, and we both respected each other's opinions, even if we disagreed. But we didn't concentrate on that. We concentrated on the wrestling stuff. Um, yeah. And it, we had a bond there, like I do with all the people that I work with, uh, because in wrestling, you're literally putting your health in someone else's hands. I mean, if someone yeah. if someone does something wrong, you can be hurt very badly. Uh, so you have to trust that person that you're working with. Um, and it's that it's that common bond you know milton friedman said that the uh the great thing about the free market is it's the best way to get people who hate each other to work together because the market doesn't care what you look like doesn't care what your religion is doesn't care about anything it just cares that you have a product that other people want and in wrestling is the same thing man i didn't i didn't care what someone's political inclination was what i cared about was good I make money with them. Were they a good entertainer? Could we have a good match? Could we have a good storyline? Uh, and I don't know how you do that in society in general, but I think that it really is about starting with what we can agree on. And unfortunately, that's more and more difficult. I, I see that in the States, you know, when the left has really diverged from kind of classical, um, you know, the, the Democrat party of, of 10 years ago, five years ago, and they're way over here. Um, but you do still see it sometimes. I mean, you'll see it with, with folks who are on the extreme right and, you know, they'll have bipartisan legislation um, with folks on the extreme left. I, I just think there needs to be more of that um, because even we're, we're in a very bad place here in America and probably around the world, as you say, um, because when we can't talk and we can't have a discourse, when it's all about screaming and yelling and politics plays into that, the media plays into that. You know, I, I watch CNN and I watch Fox now and the other outlets. They can't even agree on what the facts are. You know, yeah. CNN will tell you completely. And I don't mean we've always known that CNN had a left leaning, that Fox had a right leaning and the blaze people say has a right leaning, you know, MSNBC leans left. Well, now they're not even, you know, now we can't even say, okay, these are the facts and this is my interpretation. This is my interpretation. Now it's like facts are different. You know, and I, I find that especially true. And maybe it's just because of, of me, but with the left outlets, that's gotten really bad to the point to where it's like, no, that's, that's not even reality. Um, I don't know how you bring all that back, man, because it's almost like that middle ground that we used to have has become so, so small at this point. Absolutely. And well, for me, you know, this is always easy as an outsider looking in. And the one thing I say is, yes, you have problems, but as bad as you are right now, 
you are so much better than the rest of the world. You know, like I can yeah. talk to you about, you know, some of the lunacy that's going on in Ireland or England is, or Europe. It's so hard in the States because, you know, as a conservative, I will say that. And of course, someone that's traveled around the world, I mean, I've seen the rest of it, right? And you don't get me wrong, there are great places around the world, but man, this, you know, America is still the place that I think that a lot of folks look to. You know, I was in a cab uh, years ago in Washington, D.C., and the cab driver was uh, an immigrant from Africa. And we got to talking, we're sitting in traffic, and he left his family and come here with nothing. And I'm like, why, why are you here? You know, you're not yeah. from here. Why, why do you come here? He's like, because this is America, man, and anybody can make it here. And I'm going to save my money and I'm going to buy another cab and another cab and I'm going to have a fleet of cabs. That dude left where he grew up, left his country, left everything to drive a cab here. You know, and it's just mind boggling. And so many folks in America don't don't realize that, you know, and they don't. Again, this common ground, you know, we used to think, I think on both sides of the aisle, this country was a special place um, and we need to tweak some things. But overall, you know, it was a good place. I don't think that's the case. anymore. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people on the left actually think this is a very bad place. If we can't agree whether this country started in 1776 or 1619, we have some serious issues. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think when you look at the rest of the world, this is, this is the greatest nation on the planet. Um, I just don't feel that everybody here believes that. Anymore. Well, I agree. And I, I'd just love to share one question with you, then we move on to the politics side of it. For me, as an outsider looking at it, I think that the biggest thing is your narrative has changed. And I'm doing a, I'm doing a speaking tour, please God, in September. Um, and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to speak for your charge. And I'm going to talk about your history. But for me, what's really troubling is the narrative has changed. And I see and I say this to my friends on the right as well, because, you know, it's easy just to focus in on the left. But for someone who like me, who, who loves your constitution, who, who talks about your founding fathers, who will talk to you about all day long. If you if you trigger me the wrong way and you ask me about George Washington, you could get like a three hour filibuster answer. I'm not joking. I just go. I'm like the energizer bunny on certain issues on the, on the, the idea of America that I call it. And that's your narrative. That's why you're an exceptional nation. But I don't, I think if you start sharing that narrative, because I ask my friends on the right, why is America exceptional? And I'll get usually answers. Sometimes they're political, you know, Trump is in office, or they'll talk about the economy and the dollar. But it's nothing to do with that. It's the idea. It's the idea that's enshrined in the, in the Declaration of Independence. That idea that you spoke about, the cab driver, you have a right to pursue your happiness. You fundamentally change the way government and the world works, and you redefine man's relationship with man and government. I think, personally, and this is what I love your opinion on, if we can start getting back telling that narrative, telling that story, yes, America has had problems. I, I did a show a couple of weeks ago, all the bad stuff. You know, there's a common theme, it's government. You know, the Battle of Wounded Knee, Korematsu, Plessy versus Ferguson, Dred Scott, you know, Brown versus Board of Education, you know, Martin Luther King, these are stories I brought up, Martin Luther King didn't refute his Second Amendment rights by the FBI. There's a lot of bad things, but we also have to talk about the good, the idea of America, pursuing your happiness, individual rights, God-given rights, the idea that, you know, we have, look at how much we've advanced since your family. You know, take any period of society prior to your founding and look how much you've advanced over a thousand years. Why is it over 200 years? I'm in Ireland right now. You're in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're having a conversation over Zoom that on Saturday will be released. I play on all these different platforms and people can listen for free. That's something that we should all celebrate. If we get back telling that narrative, do you think we can solve some of the problems? 
I hope so. I don't know. And you put it very well. And that's actually what I talk about every day. This country, America, the founding was revolutionary, not because we went through a war. A lot of countries have done that. It's because it was founded on an idea. And you, know, you talk about George Washington. Say what you will about George Washington. He's the greatest, most important person in American history because he could have been King George the first of America. And instead, he said, we're going to be a republic. And after eight years of being president, he walked away from the whole thing. He's the most powerful person in, in the country um, and set a standard that, you know, that government is here in America, not to pillage the people, but to protect our rights. And it's this thing called liberty. With you know that that revolutionized the entire world. I mean, now you look at the liberal democracies of the West. It was all because of of what happened here in America. Um, were some mistake? Were some serious mistakes made? Yes, absolutely. Slavery was a horrible, horrible thing. Um, our job, to me, is to take those ideas and perfect them even further. And they have been perfected over the years. And to reach as far as we can take it, that all people are created equal in the eyes of the law and that they have certain rights and the government's job is to protect those rights. That's a very noble thing. And in the history of the world, that's never been, you know, countries are founded through warfare and then they have a dictator and then eventually the people will say, we're not going to put up with it anymore. And there's some concessions and blah, blah, blah. It was completely different with America. Um, and that's, that's, that's the most important thing. Uh, I don't know how you get back to telling that story now because it's just been so you know, convoluted and people want to throw the baby out with the bathwater at this point. Baby was pretty good, you know, and what we need to do is make sure that it matures into the potential that I think this country really does hold. But I still believe, and I think the one thing I always say to my friends who, you know, are really down at, the, at this point in time, are like, oh my God, America's over, is, you know, yeah, I feel the frustration. Yeah, I, I'm not the first one to tell you that you have problems. You know, your debt is a problem. The, the, the absolute bastardization of your constitution by both sides in DC. However, look at everything you've overcome. You know, I, I have this slogan, which I, I think is the history of America. I designed it. it was like, America, making the impossible possible. That's literally what you've done. So anybody always say to me, you know, oh, we can't do it. We're over. We're done. I'm like, read your history. You've over, what have, what is it right now that you face that you founders or, or your, the people in the 1800s, the, the war of 1812 or the 1860s with slavery or segregation and Woodrow Wilson and you survived Barack Obama. What is it that right now is so bad that you can't, that you can't overcome? You have overcome it, but if you have the wrong mindset and you have the wrong set of principles and you're fighting for the wrong thing, you will lose. But if yeah. we can start sharing that story, you win, and we all win. Right, and that's exactly it. That's it in a nutshell, and you said it better than I can. So I wanted to 
talk to you. The reason I wanted to bring you on was not to talk about wrestling and geek out and, you know, meeting someone I've followed for like 30 years. I wanted to talk to you about politics. And for me, one of the things I think you need to change to solve things in your country is to really embrace the founder's vision of America. And one of the, there are so many things, we just spoke about some of them that you got right, but one of the ideas that you got right that needs to be reintroduced that solves, I'd say 90% of the problems is this idea called federalism. The idea of your structure in America is different because every other structure starts at the top and then the power filters down. You are a system with 13 colonies that you're founding that says, you know what, we're going to be individual states and we're going to cede certain powers in Article 1, Section 8 to, the con to, to Congress in D.C. And then everything else is up to the individual states and that you can do it. You bring states back, you bring states back to politics, you can solve a lot of these problems because D.C. actually doesn't have that much power and the president has none. You decided to run for mayor. What brought that about? <laughs> well, for me, it was, as we've been talking about, the American dream and to the extent that I could, of protecting that for the next generation. To the extent that I can do that as mayor, I try. Um, but I absolutely agree with you. you know, so much of the power in the constitutional structure of our system resides with the states. Um, and even when people think of, it's kind of ironic because the federal government dominates the news. And I should actually say, it's really not a federal government anymore. You know, a federal government, as you said, is, is a group of states and the states are actually the ones which exert most of the power over the citizens. We have a national government now, you know, because so many things that the government in Washington, D.C. does have a direct impact on the citizens. And it wasn't designed to be that way. Um, but in any case, when you look at the Constitution or when people think about, you know, what does government do? Roads, police, stuff like that, right? How much of that does the federal government do? Not virtually, I mean, a little bit, but almost all of the things that people really think about government are done at the state and the local, you know, the local level. Um, the criminal justice system is mostly state and local. Um, but you look at how much actual power and money the states have versus the federal government, and it's completely topsy-turvy. Most of governmental spending, it comes from the federal government in one form, whether it's direct or whether it's through the states. It's interesting, I was, I was, um, I was listening to a, a talk about Switzerland, and a lot of the ideas the founding fathers had for our structured government came from the Swiss. So the Swiss have the cantons, which are kind of our, our states, and they're a confederation, much like the U.S. is. Um, in Switzerland, do you, do you know the, the president of Switzerland's name? No. No one does because he has so little power. About 20% of your tax dollars in Switzerland go to the federal government. 80% go to the state and local governments. It's completely different from how the American system is. And that's what we were supposed to be in America. Um, and as Jefferson said, you know, have these laboratories of democracy where people could vote with their feet. And if, if, if this state had a policies that you like, you could go there. If they had policies you didn't like, you could move someplace else. We still see that to some extent. Here in Tennessee, man, we, we're booming. We got people moving in, especially from California and the high tax jurisdictions, because they're tired of it. Our cost of living is lower. Our taxes are much lower. Our regulations are a lot lighter. Um, we're just, you know, our quality of life is better because of that. 
Um, so people do vote with their feet. Imagine what would happen, you know, if the federal government had less power to kind of homogenize policies across the board. And if our state had more power, you know, to say, uh, you know, this, this is how things are going to run here in Tennessee. And it's a lot different than how it is in Maryland or, or California. Um, so I absolutely agree with you. And yes, that was one of the beauties of the Constitution was this idea that state and local governments are much more responsive to their populations than the federal government is. You know, and if you think about it, hey, if you want to live in New York and, you know, you the, they want to have pretty severe gun regulations and abortions are legal. OK, great. You know, and if you want to live in Tennessee where we respect the Second Amendment um, and we're a right to life state. Great. Don't you know, don't impede on on each other. And that's kind of where, um, you know, the federalism is coming from. And then we could all live much more in peace if we're not trying to you know, push stuff onto each other like we currently do with homogenous policies uh, that in many cases, you know, tend, in my opinion, especially right now, tend to go real left. And that makes conservatives very nervous. Absolutely. So, you're obviously you're you you ran for and you won and you're you've announced recently that you're going to be running for re-election next year. So just on the ground, how much you know? To answer this for more of a novice, right? Let's say I was living in, in your in your county in Tennessee. Uh, you know, all the focus is on the CC the CDC guidelines and what President Biden does, and all that media attention is on Biden and CNN and on what are Nancy Pelosi is doing all these investigations into January six. You know, to a novice, to someone who said, I'd be saying you should be involved, you should be talking to Glenn, what, find out what he stands for. How much of your day to day, what's your average day to day and what are you doing as mayor to show how much influence you actually can have if you have at the local level? Uh, you know, for me, like so when we look at what the CDC today, it's, uh, it's Tuesday, the 27th, the CDC just reversed its guidance on masks. Well, that's a guideline that they're expecting the locals or the states to do and here in Knox County, I, I can tell you what we're going to do. Um, you know, you're going to follow it, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> then, then with um, you know, with what happened, uh, you know, with Congress and the inquiry into the January six um, events, that has that has virtually no bearing on us here, uh, and and that's true of so much stuff. You know, what they do in Washington is a lot of it is almost for show and yeah. it's for the media to talk about it doesn't impact this year you know like things like funding from the federal government like we just had the the big bailout that came from the federal government i think it's a horrible idea but if the federal government's giving out money here in knox county we got to get our share because if we don't someone else will and we all pay the bill eventually uh, that has a much bigger impact than what the media might be talking about as far as a lot of the political stuff uh, so there really is almost a bifurcation of this is what everybody's talking about, but it's not that important. And this is the important stuff, but no one talks about it because it flies under the radar. Does that, that make sense? Yeah. But like in your issue, so like you're dealing with roads, infrastructure, yeah. police, yeah, firefighters. Yeah. And then here, heroes. right. So uh, Knox County, actually, our, our system in Tennessee the sheriff is constitutionally elected. He doesn't work for me. He is his own boss. So uh, I don't do the police. 
we have a private fire department here in Knox County. We have a number of volunteer fire departments. We have actually, it's the largest standalone private fire uh, service in the country. Uh, so we work with them, but we don't fund them. Uh, and, and I'm not the boss of them. Uh, but a lot of it's uh, roads are a big issue. We have a, a, a very nice park system um, you know, that we have to look after. Uh, schools aren't under the mayor's office. They're independent. They're actually under the state and we have a local board of education. Uh, so it's actually funny because once you get in the mayor's office, you're shocked to find out how little power the mayor really has. Uh, and that's and in some ways that's kind of good. But in some ways, like with the pandemic, I had virtually no authority to set policy during right. during the pandemic. I mean, there was we, we had a big uh, a big to do here in Tennessee that the governor um, basically all the counties in the state of Tennessee are under the, the governor and the state health department, except for the big six counties, which have their own health departments. And the governor gave them the authority to make decisions. Well, I sit, uh, we have a board of health and I sat on the board of health, but I wasn't the one making the decisions. I just had a vote. Uh, so we did a lot of, they did a lot of things that I didn't agree with. There are a lot of eight to one votes where let's, you know, let's limit capacity at restaurants. I'm the one boat saying, let's not do that. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is we, we act and we do, we feel a lot of complaints and then we have to figure out where to send them because they don't, it isn't always something um, that I can control. One thing that I of course can do though, is I do have a bully pulpit uh, and like with this latest round of things coming out of the CDC, as far as the mandates and, and restrictions, like we have, Knox County is not going to do that this time. I mean, we, we just, our economy can't afford it. Uh, our, the mental health of the people that live here in the county. Um, I, I believe that the, the lockdowns are extremely detrimental uh, to just society in general. Um, so I, I can go out now. I mean, the governor might say this is what we're going to do, and legally I can't, I can't do anything about that. But at least I can tell people from my perspective what I think and what we need to do. Absolutely. And then getting on to sort of using the bully pulpit. So that one of the things that I always say, you know, the question I always get is, well, if you lived here, John, what would you do? And I, I, I don't think I'd like the politics because I was there before and I, it's not something I naturally enjoy. But I can tell you as a as an individual citizen, I've been knowing who my local state assembly person was and my state, state senator and the, the sheriff and the mayor and getting all these people because you know, we need to get to your sorry, we not we, you need to get to a point where your states are standing up. Because for too long, their states have been silent. You know, even I look at certain issues right now, like even the great state of Texas, you know, where under Obama, you know, Greg Abbott's campaign was like, you know, I get up every day, I file a lawsuit against the Obama administration, I will go home. It's like there's not much leadership. Obviously, Ron DeSantis has done some good stuff in Florida, but there's not much leadership to take the power back, to tell you, go, you that is not your job. And I, I, if I was a politician, obviously, I know it's Monday going a quarterback, but I'd be standing over every day in whatever house I was in going to go, D.C., this is not your job. This is our job. And even if it's even that is a lie, because it's not really our job, because America is based on the individual. And if you believe in all men are created equal, how can I compel someone else you have to act a certain way? 
then you're not equal. Then I'm I'm your master and you're my serf. It might be only on a few things, but it's on some of the issues. Where are the people in the state assembly trying to go in, in, in Tennessee, in Texas? What can we do to support them to say, make your voices heard, say no to D.C., that you operate at our discretion. We don't operate at your discretion. I think here in Tennessee, uh, we're a lot better than many states. And, and seriously, and I don't praise politicians very much, but I think that our state legislature does a decent job. Uh, should all of our state officials do more? Yes. Uh, especially, again, when it comes to so much of it is people, the average person out there just doesn't, they don't care. And I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean is they're busy leading their life and they don't have time to look at this and say, this is, this is, you know, it's not working for this reason. Um, so I, I think that to me, it, it is just having that conversation a lot more often and um, being willing, being willing to have it. And instead of so much of your success as an elected official in America is being able to bring home the bacon for your state or your district or all these things. And too many politicians are afraid of saying, we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, because if that happens, then the, you know, the representatives be like, well, we're not going to give you money or whatever. Um, so how, how do you navigate your way through that? And that can be difficult, but I do think the conversation has to be had. And I think too, moving forward with the amount of debt that the federal government has incurred, it, it is the dollar, which is the glue that holds everything together, right? The federal government bribes the states. Um, I think with all the debt that we're incurring, I think naturally the states are going to start becoming much more assertive because economically they're going to be able to, uh, you know, because they're not going to be able, the feds aren't going to be able to keep on bribing them with all these huge amounts of money because at some point it just, I mean, I think it's already unsustainable, but at some point it literally is unsustainable. Um, so I think that'll be kind of a natural process or organic process that takes care of itself. Uh, but I do think that a lot more elected officials should tell the feds, hey, you know, constitution, well, I mean, that's the other thing. It's, it's funny. Um, a friend of mine was legislative aide for Ron Paul when Ron was in uh, Congress, and his job was to read the bills to see if they were constitutional. And I was like, do you got the easiest job in Congress? You read the first no, no. Say, no. And that's, of course, that's how, that's how Dr. Paul was, basically. He was, no, no, no. Um, but, you know, that's not even a question anymore is whether things are constitutional or not. Um, and under, you know, under what uh, authority the federal government is doing certain things. Now it's basically, you know, the Congress just says, this is what we're going to do. And if the president signs off on it, that's fine. So I, I think that there needs to be a lot more talk about, you know, the proper role of the states and the proper role of the federal government. And from you, uh, just on last question on this topic, from your going around, especially in your district, talking to the average person, you know, that's just getting on with their lives. Is there much of a, a, you know, appetite for the idea of America, for the Constitution, for federalism? Or do we kind of need to really work down our messaging? I, th I think there's both. I think for uh, a lot of folks. And, and again, we're, we're a little different here. Uh, you know, we're still uh, a, a conservative uh, area. And uh, I, I think um, our people here tend to be 
more inclined that way. Um, so it's not as big a lift here as it is a lot of other places. But even here, I, I mean, there's, um, you know, we, we have, we're, we're, our county, it, when you look at it, Republican versus Democrat, we're probably 60% Republican, 40% Democrat. But the Democrats are uh, really concentrated in the city center. Um, so, you, you know, you get outside the city and that's where that's where you're going to have success with talking with people about these ideas. Um, and unfortunately, in the city center, you're not. And you find that a lot around the country. So I think the divide in Tennessee, as strange as this might sound, is not so much. Uh, it's not so much Republican Democrat. It's actually urban rule because the rural folks tend to be conservatives. The urban folks tend to be much more different. Um, so here in my county, I'm gonna have a lot more success talking about that than someone is say in a national Memphis. with the last few minutes i just want to talk to you about some stories that you know are happening because i think it's important that we do get people out there who are prepared to stand up and you know you you definitely have a platform you know i've, I've heard you talk you're very clearly articulate i think people will will get that from listening to this interview but there are some things that really scare me um from what's happening in your nation right now and the first one is coronavirus obviously we touched about it on the mass mandates now even dr fauci and, and the cdc constantly changing um, their mind on what is good and what is bad. And now all of a sudden, if you're vaccinated, you got to wear masks. You said earlier on, you're not going to be enforcing any of these mandates. No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, to the extent that I can, I'm not going to. Um, you know, just uh, again, I, I, all along, I've questioned their constitutionality uh, to begin with. Um, and also now, you know, their, their efficacy. So, and also the fact that, you know, we have seen so much flip-flopping literally month to month as uh, to what the actual guidance is. Um, so you know, to me, there, there's been, uh, there's a credibility question, um, but yes, I'm not planning on doing that. In fact, what's the I won't do that. <laughs> Good. And what's the, is that, is that a popular decision in your county or do we need to do some work? In my county, I think it is. Um, but again, okay. you know, it's within certain populations. Okay. So then the next thing, this, this really scares me because where this is going does not end well. If, if you, if there's anyone listening to this, kind of John, you overestimate the problems in America and you kind of, you know, you, you blow it, you blow hard a bit in this one. This is a really bad issue. This idea of, you know, Amy Klobuchar and her new bill in DC where we cannot have misinformation when it comes to health out there on social media. This, it, uh, even forget the constitutionality of it, that, hello, you have a right to free speech and the government has no right to take it away from you. Forget that argument. The idea of no voices, even if you think me and you were totally wrong with everything we've said today, how can you say we don't have a right to say it? Is that going to lead to a good society or is that going to lead to a bad society? That leads to really bad places. How do we get to change that argument around? Because free speech should be something that 90% of us agree on. Absolutely. Um, and it should be something that the left agrees on. And, and actually, look at the ACLU. 
and uh, they, they've done some good work in this area. Um, you know, so I, I think that is one that the that the left would uh, agree on. Now, you know, again, you have under this of, administration. Well, no, you kind of have the traditional Democrats, and then you now have the people that have gone um, to the authoritarian side. Uh, so. I, I don't have a great answer for that. I wish I did. You know, people need to understand that um, when it's the government that's determining what is correct information, they're going to make whatever germination benefits them. You know, and that has extremely bad connotations. Uh, you know, and also it, it always amazes me that um, we said that people are smart enough to vote for folks that have a lot of power, but they're not smart enough to make decisions in their own lives that impact that. Um, I've never quite been able to wrap my mind around how on the one level, you know, you want democracy on this mass scale, but we don't want democracy for individuals to make choices in their own lives. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I don't know how quite to, to combat that because unfortunately the right talks about it a lot too. You know, um, you have these private platforms and, you know, big tech is a problem. Don't get me wrong. But once we start saying, hey, you know, you have to do this or you have to do that. Well, now the camel's got its nose under the tent. And, you know, anytime the government says we can regulate you, it just depends on who's in power as to what that regulation looks like. Uh, so I think that conservatives need to also be very careful uh, when they're talking about regulating what these private platforms can do. Um, I understand that I understand the issues with the censorship and the things that have gone on. Um, but, I, you know, you can still get the information. You just sometimes have to dig a little harder for it. Um, nevertheless, as you said, it's just, it's just very bad. You know, it's just very bad policy um, that ends up with inform the information flow either being shut off or being so controlled that the only thing that gets out is the approved government version of facts, which aren't even really facts. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as someone who has, you know, public news and state paid news, you do not want this because there is they're always in bed together and it never, ever ends. Well, the only people who lose are the individual. And I, I agree with you. You know, I, I believe we need to get back into sorry, America needs to get back into the world, needs to get back to the old Reagan saying government is not the, the solution. Government is the problem, period. So I just have two last questions for you. One is kind of a joke, but I'd love you to give your sales pitch. So. Um, I've been trying to get into your country for 18 years and I'm doing a speaking tour there and uh, hopefully I'm going to find a wife, you know, wink, wink, that's the joke. But let's say I find a wife and we're going, hey, where are we going to live? You've said many times in the past that your, your wonderful county is the best place to raise a family and, you know, to live. What's the sales pitch for your state and for your county particularly? That, you know, you should be pitching to me to come live there. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> it, this is just a great place. Um, you know, we have the Smoky Mountains are just right down the road from us. We're 60% of the nation's population is within 11, sorry, with, uh, within a one day's drive of Knox County. We have a thriving economy. Uh, we have lots of stuff to do. And, you know, we also respect people's freedom of choice here. So you can build a life that you want to live. And for the most part, we're going to leave you alone as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And... I think that's actually the biggest endorsement that anyone can give anywhere. 
that's a great answer. And then last question, because one big end, we've kind of spoke about it, the narrative of America, and I think we need to start sharing it. Last question for you. What does America mean to you? Because we need to get this message out there. You said it earlier. It's an ideal. It's an ideal that all people are created equal, that all of us are endowed with natural rights, that we live in a state of liberty where you can do what you want with your life, create the life that you want, so long as you don't hurt other people. And along the way, you will have opportunities that will come because when people uh, are able to engage through the free market, the free enterprise system, those opportunities just naturally, uh, naturally arise. That creates prosperity. So it's, it's the place where you can create your own life and create your own version of the American dream. And to me, that's the most important thing you know, that humanity's ever seen. That's what makes our country so special. That's a great answer. And people can find you on Twitter. You're pretty active there. You're a great follower. You share a lot of good content. You, you, uh, you did have a warning label this week because you shared it's part of the Declaration of Independence. And I don't know if that's misinformation or not. You know, I think in this era of, of misinformation, but you're on Twitter. And where can, you know, have you got a, you got a website for your re-election campaign yet? Or? Uh, it's it's a Jacobs for Mayor, all spelled out, dot com. So Jacobs for Mayor. My Twitter feed is Glenn with two N's, Glenn Jacobs TN. Um, and that's where you that's where I have the good stuff, I guess. I also have a Facebook page, which is Jacobs from Mayor as well. America, check it out. Get involved in the local states. We finish this show the way we do each and every week by saluting you, the American people. Regardless of what you think about Republicans or Democrats or Biden or Trump, this is the secret sauce to America. America is great because Americans are good. If I make both a Frenchman off. And until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.